Good morning. So I come before you as a son of the congregation this morning, someone who was born, baptized, confirmed, and ordained in this very building right here. And you come to ask me to speak, I guess, words of wisdom this morning. And it didn't strike me until last night, uh, because I was looking at lots of different texts to preach on, thinking about the kind of greater theme of the year and the greater theme of the month. I hadn't even looked uh, very directly at the, the gospel text for this week. And then Pastor Gergi gets up last night, and he preaches the gospel lesson, and I realized that the gospel lesson for today is that a prophet is not without owner except in his hometown. hometown. I'm like, great, what an introduction for the son of the congregation to come back this morning and try to speak words of wisdom and for basically to say, they are going to reject you this morning, all right? So, so try not to reject me, throw rotten vegetables or something like that. They were very kind to me last night, all right? So hopefully we get a same, similar reception this morning. And hopefully I do have some words of wisdom to pass on. I don't know if you've been asked to pass on words of wisdom before in front of a group of people or to a small assembly. Maybe it was just counsel to a friend. Maybe you've spoken at a wedding with one of the wedding speeches or at a graduation or, or something along those lines. There's different times when we're asked to pass on words of wisdom, faithful words. Well, the texts that I'm going to be looking through this morning and kind of jumping between are the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Why? Because these are words of wisdom from Paul to Timothy, from a mentor to a mentee, someone who says, you know, Paul is basically at a stage in his life where he says, I'm in prison, uh, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around, and I need to pass on some faithful words to you, Timothy, before I am gone. The theme for this month is what? Faithfulness in providing Christian education. It's passing that faith on to the next generation. So that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. I need to pass these things on before I am no longer with you so that they can be passed on to your generation and to the generation after that and to the generation after that so that faithfulness in Christian education keeps going down the line in the church because if we quit passing it on, then the church is no more. And it was interesting as I was sitting there and thinking about that and saying, yeah, I, I think I want to preach on the, the pastoral epistles and this relationship between Timothy and Paul. I came across this phrase that pops up in every single one of the pastoral epistles. This is a faithful saying, or here is a faithful saying, or you might be used to it saying, here is a trustworthy saying. Five times throughout those epistles, Paul says that. So that's going to provide the backbone of what I want to pass on to you this morning. If we're talking about great is God's faithfulness, faithfulness to us for 75 years and into the next generation, then let's take a moment this morning to look at what Paul said were some faithful sayings, the core of his teaching to pass on. Well, it starts very near the beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. Uh, you can boil it down to this. Paul says, here is a faithful scene. Jesus came to save sinners, and by the way, I am the worst that you're going to find. All right, the, the, the way it's put exactly here in the words of 15 and 16, this is a faithful saying and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that me as foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. Again, to summarize it basically, never forget your sinners, but Jesus came to save sinners. 
This has got to be where our message starts, right? Uh, a lot of times you think, okay, if we're passing on the Christian education, we need to start positive. And Jesus says, no, you need to start with the negative, with the bad news, and to show the need. Everyone needs to know that they are a sinner, but the person passing it on has to say, by the way, I am a sinner too. I am in the same place as you. I have the same need as you. This is a, a hugely important message for us to be able to preach to the world around us, right? Because so often when people are outside the church, they look at those inside the church as the ones who think, what, they're holier than thou, right? Oh, they, they think that there's nothing wrong with them or they act like nothing's wrong with them. And so our message needs to be, by the way, I am a sinner as well. And it makes people comfortable then when they come to church and say, okay, I know those people, I know that they're willing to admit to their sins, and not just the, the cute little nice ones, but say, you know, I've got some, some junk in my life too. And that gives us a real message to preach to the world around us and to start to build that relationship where people can come inside these walls for the next 75 years as well. It's a message that we need to preach not just to those outside, but keep passing on to the youngest generation. We don't think about that always, do we? Like, like you got to preach to the little kids. Oh, by the way, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner too. And that's something that I remember being preached to me clearly and taught to me clearly as I was growing up here at South Shore. So uh, how does that start happening? It starts with examples, right? Like, like, like actual things in life. I remember as a kid growing up in this congregation, ripping around these hallways. Um, there were different hallways when I was a, a really small child. There were lots of secret passageways, and we would be running around this place or the next or whatever until we would turn the corner, and all of a sudden some church basement lady would stop us and say, Stop! You're not showing very much respect for God's house, are you? And oh my goodness, you know, the face would go down. And, and y'all ladies out there, you know which one stopped, myself and Jake and Scott. And there were others at other times too, but the three of us always seemed to be running into the church basement, ladies, didn't we? And you guys let us know. And this was important. This was essential to our Christian education. You are sinners. But Jesus loves you and forgives you, and I do too. I remember... Um, very distinctly, there was one morning, a Sunday morning, where um, our Sunday school class, you know, was, was sitting there and waiting for things to get going, and all of a sudden we're like, everyone else has started, and we don't have a teacher yet this morning. And we thought we had struck gold. This is a whole hour of free time where we can sit there and we can yuck it up and no one is watching us or listening to what we are doing. Well, of course, then we start getting loud and a little rambunctious, and some lady's walking by, and she comes into our little cubicle. Never try to pull that off if you're in a cubicle, okay? They will notice, all right? And we thought we had gotten away with it, and she walks in and says, where is your teacher? Well, no teacher came. Well, then why did you not go find one of us to teach you? And she gave us a lecture, making sure we realized that we had neglected the God's house and that this was a place for Christian education. For us not to go find someone to teach us for that hour was showing a disdain for God's word. And I mean, I turned every shade of red that morning. I am sure I was embarrassed. What was she letting me know? I am a sinner. But then she did what? She spent that whole next hour sitting there and teaching us about God's love, about Christ's love, and what he did on the cross for every single one of us. You see, it's essential for us to know that we are sinners, not just when we're caught in our sins, all right, but that we have this message that we're preaching it to the world, that every single one of us, no matter what we look like, no matter what you have seen, we are sinners and we are just like you. I'll never forget 
how that message kept being preached to me even as I aged and grew up within the church. I remember when I was in college, I came back to South Shore um, for a funeral. It was for the funeral of a, a gentleman named Mike Sharpentier. Many of you guys remember him quite well. I don't think I've ever seen this place maybe quite that full because people loved Mike. And I don't just mean the people in this church. I mean the community flooded in that morning. There were so many people in here. I believe it was standing room only. And, you know, everyone's in here, and especially the people from the community are in here expecting for, for the message to be this beautiful eulogy about how amazing of a person Mike was. And it's not that they didn't say some amazing things about that Mike that morning, of course. But I'll never forget that the sermon started, and I, I don't remember exactly the words. I, I could be wrong on the exact words, but, but it was something to the extent of, Mike Sharpentier was a sinner. <laughs> I just remember sitting there being like, what? Is that really where Pastor Shieldwalker is going to start this sermon about this man that everyone loves so much? And yet it was the best thing he could have said because he said, you know, we love Mike and Mike lived about as good of a life as anyone probably would have imagined. That everyone being here was testimony to that. But Mike Sherpentier wasn't in this building, wasn't a member here because he was so good. It was because he was a sinner. He knew it, and he loved that Jesus loved him and forgave him for those sins. You see, Christ Jesus, this is a faithful saying, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. I'm the worst. Y'all can join me in that boat. This is a faithful saying to pass on. Here is another faithful saying to pass on. We are saved not by our good works, but we are saved so that we can do them. If you jump forward into to Titus chapter 3, this is how Paul puts it. Uh, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is faithful. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Yeah, we're not saved by our good works but we're saved so that we can do them for our neighbors around us. Again, you know, this is one of those points of Lutheran pride oftentimes, right? That, that we're the people who say, we are saved by grace and good works have nothing to do with it. That is an important message. It builds off the, the first faithful saying, right? That, that when we're sitting there and communicating to the world around us and to each other as well, that people feel like the place of the church is not something that's highfalutin and too big, you know, for our britches or something but that we're a place that's full of normal people. That people outside the church don't feel like they can't come in because, well, I'm not good enough yet, right? I mean, how many times have you heard something like that where people have said, well, I would go to church or someday I'll go to church, but I need to clean up the messes in my life. They seem, seem to think that, that they need to start doing good works before they come in this place. Well, we need to make sure that we stay true to that gospel message, that we are not saved by our good work, so they know they can come into church at any time while they are still sinners and before they started doing any good works. But we cannot forget that we need to preach to our people within these rooms that we do need to do good works. We will not be saved by them. We won't offer them to God. But God will inspire us to do them for our neighbors around us because they need them. In fact, that's one of the ways that we're going to get the attention of the world to draw them in is by caring for them with the good works God puts in front of us to do. This is another message that we need to be passing on to our children, to our youth, and to each other from whatever age we start. The person that came to my mind right away as I was thinking about, okay, how does that connect to, to being raised up at So Shore was Ruth Denell. I know a lot of you will recognize that name right away as well. Um, she, she was this 
powerful, powerful woman. She was probably about this tall, all right, um, for those of you who remember. But she was uh, packed full of God's power inside her, all right? And I remember as one of my Sunday school teachers, she would always tell us the stories about her time in Hong Kong as a missionary. And she would sit there and tell those stories, and she was the humblest woman. She was not telling those stories to try to convince us that she had done some amazing, mighty things in her day, but so that we could see that God had worked in her to care for the world around us and that he could work in us too. She wanted our eyes to be open every single day looking and saying, okay, uh, as God gifted Ruth, he's gifted me. How can I look around me? How can my eyes be open to seeing the needs of my neighbor? What has he gifted me to have the opportunity to do today? Not what do I have to do, but what gifts has God put in my life so that I can do them? You see, this is a faithful saying. If we are saved, we're not saved by our good works, but we're saved so that we can do them for our neighbors around us. Here is another faithful saying. We are saved, and our godliness will impact now as well as eternity. 1 Timothy 4, 8-9 puts it this way. Remain true in your godliness. For while bodily training is some value, godliness is a value in every way and it holds the promise in this present life, but also for the life to come. This saying is faithful and deserving of full acceptance. A lot of times we think of godliness. We we equate that immediately with saintliness and we think, oh, that's what God's going to do with us someday when we go where? See, okay, so i got to remind you all, because it's been a long time since I preached in this congregation, all right? When I stop and leave awkward silences, that's when I ask for an answer, right? So we think of it this way, all right? So when God says, oh, you're going to be godly, you're going to be saintly, all right? We think, oh, that's someday when I go to heaven. See, you know the answer to this one, all right? You're just doing the Lutheran thing where you nod or something like that and think the answer in your head. And I'm going to wait awkwardly until you say, that's what God does with us someday when we go to heaven, all right? But what God says to us over and over throughout the scriptures is, no, godliness starts now. It starts here. When Jesus goes around and he starts preaching to all the people, he keeps saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is right now. The kingdom of heaven is here in me. And when he teaches us to pray, he says, you shall pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in. Does he want us to wait? No. He says the kingdom starts now. You're never going to be finished till heaven. In fact, you're going to look like quite a work in progress until you get to heaven someday. But he wants to work on our godliness, our saintliness, our devotion to him right now. Because it will impact not just us, but the rows around us. And that impact rings all the way to eternity in heaven. Yeah. This is what God wants us to sit there and think about and to say, okay, what God, what do you want to work on in me? What aspect of my devotion to you? What aspect of my life are you working on now that can impact the world around me? And we need to teach people that too. I remember Pastor Shieldwalker, who was the pastor most of my time growing up at South Shore Trinity. Uh, he was a great pastor and taught me a lot of wonderful things. One of the things that I remember distinctly uh, in terms of this aspect was that when I had already gone to college, he didn't quit reaching out to me. He really tried to keep reaching out to me. And uh, after my freshman year of college, before I started my sophomore year, he said, Dan, I want you to come with me to a conference on prayer. It's a weekend-long conference. I'm sitting there and going, okay, wait a second. 
Uh, you know, you're a pastor, and that sounds like a very pastoral thing, and I know I'm going to Concordia, but I'm not there yet. A, a, a conference on prayer? I mean, my yeah, whole weekend conference on prayer? <clears throat> I'm sitting there and thinking, you know, prayer life to me is what I say to God quick before I go to bed, what I say before meals, and then before tests and other times when I know I need to, to talk to God. You know, maybe I, you know, there's a friend who says, they, uh, let's pray or something like that. Okay, that, that was all prayer was to me. And he said, no, there's a whole lot more to it. I want you to come to this weekend conference with me. Wow. And I went to that conference, and it opened my eyes to what prayer life really could be. And this aspect of, of, of my devotion to God and what it could be. And that has impacted my life now and those around me now all the way into eternity. You know, one of the things that, that we do at Hope in Lubbock, where I'm a pastor right now, is we pray for three different families every single service, all right? Well, say our prayer families for this week are, and then we list the names, and we just go through the alphabet every single year, as many times as we can. And one of the things that I've taken to doing recently is following up with every single one of those families, sending them an email or calling them and saying, hey, what's going on in life right now? What's going on in your work? What's going on with your family? That I can put in my prayer journal. And I put those things down in my prayer journal. And then I call them or talk to them a week, two weeks, email them a few weeks later and kind of check in. And it's amazing what you see and what you hear. What people open up to reveal from their lives. And then when they realize that you cared enough to follow up with them a few weeks later, what else they will reveal. You see, God wants to work on our devotion to him, and it looks different for every single one of us. But its impact will be felt now and all the way into eternity in heaven. This is a faithful saying. And this is a faithful saying and deserving of full acceptance that we are, if we are saved, we're also going to suffer. This is the way Paul puts it in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. This saying is faithful. If we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. If we deny him, he will deny us. But if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Essentially, Paul isn't mincing any words. He says, if you are saved, you are going to have to suffer. And Paul writes this as one who's already experiencing it, right? Like I said, he's writing the pastoral epistles when he's where? In jail. He's saying, this is a reality of my life, and unless you think that it only happens to guys like Paul, I could give you countless other examples of people who suffered for their faith. And it can be in those big ways. I certainly pray that I'm never thrown in prison. I certainly hope that no one else here is ever thrown in prison for their faith. Who knows where God will take things? But the reality is we will suffer if we are faithful to God. And it can look different ways. But the reality is that if we want to live a faithful life, if we want to live a, a life that says, here is what I learned from the Bible about the way I should live my life, and that doesn't look like the world around me, the world around us isn't going to like it. They're not going to like it when they notice that our lives don't look like their lives, and when the way we talk doesn't sound like the way they talk, and when we say that the things that they're doing are not okay. They're going to bump up against it. It is going to make them feel uncomfortable. And when they feel uncomfortable because even just our lives, not even our words, are sitting there as a judgment on their own lives, are they going to take it happily? No. They are going to push on us and rail against us and make fun of us and mock us and call us old-fashioned and all those other kinds of things. That is a reality, is that if we want to live a Christian life, then we will suffer for it. 
And sometimes it's going to be through those ways of persecution. Sometimes it's going to be the world around us. Sometimes it's going to be Satan that's going to take his hand at knocking us down a notch or two as well. And that's the, the subtle type of suffering we do for our faith where we don't always connect it. We're thinking, oh man, I'm suffering and we don't think it's for our faith. But the reality is, who is going after us? It's Satan, right? He will sit there and he will look at the Christian and he will say, well, let me see if I can rattle you. Let me see if I can knock you down a peg or two. And let me see if that can throw you off your faith. That's what he did to Job, right? God says, hey, look at Job. Job is living a righteous life. And Satan says, let me see what happens after I mess with him for a few months. Let me make him suffer in his health or in his family or something like that. Let me see what happens to him. The reality is all of us will face suffering in life. We need to remember that God is faithful to us in it. This is a lesson. This is a faithful saying that we need to pass on to those around us so that they're not shocked in their suffering. I remember uh, learning about suffering in so many ways growing up. And sometimes those lessons were formal, but so often those things are taught in an informal way. There's a, a woman from our congregation, uh, a lot of you again will recognize this name, Rachel Jar. She was one of those people that I remember growing up and seeing as this really strong, faithful woman and Christian. And I remember later on uh, when I was in um, college um, that she got cancer. Uh, she'd had it before then too, but she got cancer. And I remember reading her postings on Caring Bridge and the messages she would communicate about her suffering because this was the reality. I saw she was suffering. There was no way you could get around it. And yet she would sit there and she would post and she would write and she would say, but God has been good to me today so I could write this down on this blog. Or she would say something like, you know, but God was faithful to me today because I was able to go out with my daughter and have coffee. Or God was faithful to me today because he gave me enough strength to go out and enjoy the beautiful weather that he's blessed us with this day. And I was able to see every single day that message that was being taught from her to me and to so many others that God was faithful to her even in the greatest suffering. And even as she approached her last days saying, never forget in your lives too that you will suffer but God will be faithful to you. You see, here is a faithful saying that if we are saved, we will suffer in many and various ways, but God is faithful to us in that. Here is another faithful saying. If you are saved, you need to pass on those truths and those gifts to the next generation. This is a very rough way to translate or to pass on uh, what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. But this is what he's saying. Here is a faithful saying. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. The office of the overseer or pastor or whatever you want to call that office. Uh, that was obviously a, a special type of role within the church. And, and very few here are probably going to be called to that role. But the primary role of the pastor and the overseer was what? To make sure that the next generation was being taught. That the faith was being passed on. And while we may not aspire to that specific office, God is charging each and every one of us with passing the faith on. If you've had something good passed on to you, if you believe that what you've been taught within these walls is something that's noble and worthy and that has saved you and that has taught you how to endure suffering and all those things in your life, then you need to pass it on. There's so many Sunday school teachers that I could list and sit there and talk about and say they are part of what passed the faith on to me. And many of them I could name. <clears throat> What's interesting is that when I come to this point, um, and maybe it's precisely because of this, but there's one gentleman who stands out in my memory right now whose name I cannot remember. 
And it's almost perfect because in some ways he's almost anonymous, that just representative of all the people who came and took time to teach me. And what I remember about this gentleman was he wasn't one of the typical people that was the Sunday school teachers. He wasn't one of our parents. He wasn't one of the church moms. He wasn't one of those blessed saint women who had taught for 30 years at South Shore. I don't know if we were just pressing for Sunday school teachers that year or what the deal was, but he raised his hand and said, I will teach those hooligans in third grade or whatever grade we were in. And he did. And he taught faithfully that entire year. And I'll never forget, um, around Christmas, he wrote us each this really nice note thanking us for being in his class. It was really personal. And then giving us this little gift. And it made this impression on me in some different way. This guy thinks it's a privilege to teach us. He is honored to have the chance to pass on the faith to the next generation. And that made a powerful impact on me. He wasn't doing it because he had to. He was doing it because he got to. Because the faith had been passed on to him at some point in time, and he wanted to pass it on to us as well. You see, this is a faithful saying that if you treasure what God's given you, you need to pass it on. And maybe that's being a Sunday school teacher in a very formal way, all right? I'm sure, so sure, would you all love to have like 30 new people raise their hands after this Sunday and say, I'll teach Sunday school? Absolutely, we need to pass it on. That'd be awesome, all right? But whether it's a Sunday school teacher, whether it's in informal ways, noticing the youth of this congregation and saying, I'm going to check in on that person. I'm going to get to know them, right? I remember all these little touches that I got growing up. You know, there was the guy who came up to me every single week and said, how you doing, Tiger? He was one of those mentors in the faith. Just all those little touches we can do, all those ways we can make the next generation feel cared for and to say, this is a place where I am loved. This is a place that teaches me about Jesus. And all those people that will never come through these doors that you see out in your life right there, how can you pass on the faith to them as well? But you see, that is a faithful saying that if you treasure what you've got here, it is a noble task to pass it on. These are all faithful sayings. It is a faithful saying that we are sinners and that we need to go out into the world and let other people know they're sinners, but Jesus loves them too. It is a faithful saying to, to know that we are not saved by our good works, but that we can pass them on. It is a faithful saying that we are not saved by our good works uh, or our godliness, but that godliness has an impact now as well as in eternity. It is a faithful saying to know that if we are saved, we are going to suffer in this life, but God will care for us throughout it. And it is a faithful and true saying that what we have, we need to pass on. You guys are celebrating 75 years year of Christian education, and some of you remember many of them, and many people in this room right now uh, have only been at South Shore for a short time. But these pieces of education have been passed on to me. And so my encouragement to every single person in this building is to take these faithful sayings and to pass them on so that South Shore keeps Christian education and God's word coming from this building for the next 75 years as well. Amen.